Hello and welcome to the Owl Hoot podcast with me, Caroline Norbury. In each episode, I chat to amazing guests with way more expertise than me on topics covering the environment and sustainability. You'll get to hear the facts on climate change, biodiversity loss and pollution, as well as discover the fabulous actions that individuals and organisations are doing to mitigate and adapt to our changing world. I don't know about you, but I find it reassuring and hopeful that there are so many capable people out there doing great things for our planet, as well as inspiring me to get on and do my bit too. So without further ado, let's get on with this week's episode. Andy Extance is with me today in his capacity as Marketing Director of Exeter Community Energy a social enterprise generating renewable energy. In addition to this role, Andy is a freelance science journalist, chair of the Association of British Science Writers, director of editorial services company Exeter Empirical and editor-in-chief of Science Seeker. Andy trained as a chemist, worked in early stage drug discovery research and briefly in silicone adhesive and rubber manufacturing before becoming a full-time science writer. By joining Exeter Community Energy, Andy aspired to win a battle on climate change. I'm keen to discover if this role has delivered on this and know more about how community energy works. Welcome to the podcast, Andy. Hi, Caroline. Thanks for having me. You are most welcome. So I'm really looking forward to delving deep into community energy today, but I'd like to start with finding about a bit about where your interests lay, how you, you know, a bit about your career and your background and your, and your chemistry and what have you. So fire away. Yeah, well, um, you covered it quite well in the intro there. Yeah, so I am a science writer like yourself, I think, to some extent, I have made quite an effort to communicate about climate change. I write about climate change quite a lot. I'm just putting the finishing touches to an article about using ammonia as a clean fuel for shipping. But uh, yeah, so the communicating side of things is good and it's good to do that. But I also really itched to do uh, something quite practical. And uh, yeah, I I come from a a background where I have worked in um, the industry. When I worked in the pharmaceutical industry, I was involved in some quite large projects. Um, 100 million pound, maybe 100 million dollar contract, I think probably slightly less, worth slightly less than 100 million pounds, but um, in and managing kind of around a quarter of the production of the molecules that were um, involved in that. And so I've got a fair amount of project management experience, and I, I felt like I wanted to do something very practical. And so coming on to community energy via the communications side of things uh, gave me the opportunity to do something much more practical uh, using those project management skills I've had in the, uh, you know that I've developed in the past and it, that's very much how it's turned out I think I've, I've come on board I've, I've helped eco ex community energy quite a lot uh, with the communications and I've also as time has gone on, got to be more involved with some of the solar projects and deployment. Okay. I came on board in 2018, um, which was several years after the organisation was started. They were looking for new directors 
uh, and advertising voluntary directors that is I mean uh, I'm an investor in X Community Energy I was one of the the first investors I think it was in 2016 when we all put our money in so I get some benefit from the uh, interest on the investment but otherwise it's all voluntary but uh, yeah I think it's really worthwhile absolutely and, uh, I don't in terms of that battle uh, yeah it's been it has it's been good and I was able to take the lead managing a couple of new the, the two newest sites that eco has deployed and I was the kind of the project manager for that and so getting those deployed at the beginning of last year during the pandemic right when it was it was starting out was challenging a bit fraught but also very rewarding and I do feel like I've now won my battle uh, <laughs> a battle but you know I'm now up for more yeah you've probably got your hands dirty now so it sounds mm. like you were aware of um of, of, of eco when it was starting mm. how did it all start how did it all come together can you tell me a bit about that yeah so I think it was started in 2014 I think there are about eight founding directors and they came out to, of the transition Exeter um, group uh, that I think they discussed setting up a community energy group in 2013. ECO itself was founded in 2014 and um, then moved towards uh, raising funds from the community in 2016. So that's the yeah. story. It basically comes out of Transition Exeter. And you talk about raising funds. What were those funds specifically for? Well, there's um, So there's a certain amount of startup funding. Um, you know, I think initially it was quite small amounts, like a few thousand pounds here or there. From there was quite, I think the majority of the funding initially came from individuals. I think possibly largely from the Transition Extra Group, but it was a combination of donations and kind of advance investments in the uh, renewable projects. But there were a few thousand pounds from the Exeter Board, which is a joint committee of Exeter City and Devon County Councillors some from the Quaker Sustainability Fund. We've got some funds from Department of Energy and, and Climate Change, all of the, uh, and Energy Saving Trust, Nature Save Trust, oh, Devon gosh. Community Energy Accelerator Program, all of which were a few thousand pounds, but they very much helped with the startup funding. The organization, um, our initial chair and CEO, uh, Jill Wyatt, drove a lot of this and um, you know was absolutely essential to getting the organization up and running and and so that money helped pay for her time and then back in 2014 2015 2016 there was a fund called the urban community energy fund which specifically was available to support uh, community energy type activities in cities but that no longer exists um but yeah we had eighteen thousand pounds from that as well so so lots of different places the money came from and yeah and eco has always been very embedded in exeter 
and in our community we've always had very deep roots and good connections with the councils and lots of different groups I think that's really been one of our strengths and probably one of the overall strengths of community energy okay well that's a that's a good point that, that all those collaborations are, are quite key to it getting off the ground so when you raised this money what was the first thing you bought with it <laughs> well okay I mean that's that's the kind of startup funding so that then got us as far as then doing a share offer uh, which with which um, we raised I think it's about 400,000 which we then would um, spend on uh, different solar projects uh, I think yeah 390,000 I think it was. So why, why was it decided that um, you, you talked obviously you've mentioned there it was solar projects and obviously the, the eco group was all about uh, renewable energy why did uh, was it decided that it would be a solar project to start with? Often that's a key part of the community energy model. I mean, there are all sorts of different community energy groups across the country and they do ha all have different activities. And, um, you know, even, uh, today we have quite different activities between solar generation and kind of renewable energy. Uh, so, yeah, there's the renewable energy generation, but there's also energy saving and uh, energy poverty work. But part of a lot of the models of community energy groups is to partner with community organizations in order to supply them with electricity at a discount to what <laughs> what you get from the grid which is especially topical right now mm. <laughs> yes isn't it yeah so the, the thing about solar you can put it on the roof of buildings and so our particular model is all about rooftop solar and we put it on buildings of community organizations. So some small, some businesses, a lot of nonprofit type organizations, uh, have got a church, community halls, things like that. So we are helping the community in terms of reducing their energy bills, reducing their carbon footprint and you know, but they're helping us by giving us the space to help them, if you see what I mean. Yeah. So the, the, the premises that have got the solar panels on them, such as the church or the other community buildings, those particular uh, institutions or organisations, they themselves benefit because they're getting cheaper renewable electricity. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it saves them money and it also yeah. reduces their carbon footprint. And... I mean, particularly so um, the church is Pinhoe Road Baptist Church in Exeter, and they um, have also benefited part of the model. Uh, so there's, there's, there's a number of different parts to the model. So I'll talk you through it. I, uh, sure, I, I know sure. you want, you're interested in some of, the, some of these things. So we used this £390,000 of investment from people. Most of the investors are just average Joes in the local community and we use that to buy the solar panels and put them on the roofs um, we then get income from the sites uh, for the electricity that they buy from us we can export some of the electricity to the grid and we get some income from that for the early installations up until those that we did last year we also get feed-in tariff subsidies um, so we get government money that subsidizes the, so, um, the solar electricity generation. All of that money comes into Exeter Community Energy and then we pay our investors uh, interest 
at 5%, which is pretty good. But then we tend to have a surplus which goes into a community fund, uh, which is available for local organisations to apply for projects related to energy saving or fighting energy poverty. And um, Pinho Road Baptist Church, who we were talking about particularly there, they not only benefit from having the lower electricity price that we offer them, but they've also successfully applied for an, a number of grants from our community fund to install a more energy efficient lighting as well. So there's a lot of benefits to the community from our model. Um, and there's various different ways that people and organisations can benefit. That's excellent, because there seems to like a, lots of benefits in lots of different directions. How easy, easy is it to um, set up an installation, like ch choosing a particular premise and getting all the relevant bodies agree that it can go on that particular roof? Yeah, I mean, it can be a real struggle. And certainly, I think, again, Eco has a lot to thank Jill White, our founding chair and CEO, for because she was extremely, she is extremely tough and, you know, very Resilient. determined to do these things and you know having done a couple of the installations myself now I know exactly how challenging it is yeah there aren't so there aren't that many sites that it, the the model can work for you need one which I especially now that the feed-in subsidies have gone you ideally need a site that has fairly large on-site energy consumption in order to make it financially viable for eco with the higher energy prices, it might be that we can, you know, our prices might go up on new installations and we'll still be saving people some money, which might make it viable in the, the non-feed-in tariff world. But um, you have to think about the, 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 the character of the site and uh, um, it, it, ideally it would have reasonably large energy consumption that you would be switching over from being grid and therefore probably mostly gas. Uh, to be to being you know at least during the day mostly solar so it would be no good having a really nice big building with a big roof but actually they're not using a whole lot of energy within that building is that what you're saying yeah so i mean if they were if it was a nightclub or something that wasn't open during the day it wouldn't work for us very well say so, um legal ease is the thing that jill always uh talked about which is you would ideally like an organization that owns their own building and they can say you know, who doesn't doesn't do things to it that's not always the case and we have a number of sites that are leased from local councils as i say we're really lucky that our local councils are very supportive but it is quite time consuming going through the legal processes of uh getting the permission to put things on those roofs because of the complexity of that process, do you then require to bring in sort of expertise that can deal with all the legal requirements surrounding who gets to say whether those panels can go up in the first place sort of thing? Mm, yeah, absolutely. So we're really lucky, Eco's really lucky in that we have a director, Sonia Bedford, who's um, an energy solicitor at Stephen Scown, um, uh, solicitors in Exeter. She's actually, I think, probably nationally renowned in the renewable energy world. Uh, she's got an MBE uh, for services to renewable energy or possibly community energy. But either way, she's currently 
you may or may not be aware that Bristol is investing something like a billion pounds in renewable energy. And um, Sonia is currently quite tied up with the procurement on that, I believe. But yeah, so she's extremely knowledgeable on the legal aspects of renewable energy. And uh, yeah, so Stephen Scown does a lot of work for Eco. We do pay them for that work, but they, um, they also are very generous towards us in terms of uh, providing us with support of all kinds. So that really helps. Um, but actually, it's worth knowing that across the country, there's, I think it's at least 200 community energy groups. And they, there's an organisation called Community Energy England, where they all get together. And if you don't have a Sonia on your board as a community energy group. There's plenty of knowledge within the Community Energy England community, and they're all very happy to share knowledge. And, and actually quite, you know, the process is quite similar between different uh, parts of the country. So that knowledge is very transferable. And it, I think in Devon as well, there's, well, I wanna say 20, but there's a lot of, uh, of, of groups where I live in Devon and so we have a, a county-wide network as well where we share knowledge and so there's a lot of support between community energy groups as well that really helps for these complicated issues. Sure so you've joined like a, a, even a larger community because there are other people trying to do it and they're all sharing knowledge which is lovely that you're able to benefit each other rather than seen as sort of competitors you're, you're just all trying to do lovely things together in different parts of the country. I think there's enough of a degree of competition that it inspires us all to try and do a little bit better when you see that other people are, are doing better. So it's that kind of ah. being motivated because you can see what other people are achieving. Yeah, um, you, you mentioned that you've obviously been involved in some later installations because uh, uh, I thought perhaps once you've done one, all subsequent ones are perhaps easier, but it doesn't sound like it necessarily is the case. What was your experience? Well, it's a bit of a moving, uh, you know, everything, it, it's it, it's changing. So like the situation with feed-in tariffs in the UK subsidies where solar subsidies were quite generous initially, and I think they were always designed to taper out and go away as the price of solar went down. Um, so, yeah, the, in a sense that's you know makes things challenging but there's also the low-hanging fruit uh, situation where your first projects are likely to be the ones that are most accessible you know like the low low-hanging fruit on the tree and so your later projects might not be quite so easy uh, so there's there's that issue as well but it will be you know the, the current situation with uh, energy prices in the UK in particular where you know, they are very high at the moment, might well trigger a new round of projects now becoming possible that weren't previously. I just wanted to pick up on that, the fact that you said that feed-in tariffs are no longer in existence. Does that mean the ones that you started with feed-in tariffs, you still get feed-in tariff money for that? And you also mentioned that the, the lower costs of solar does that help the fact that you've lost the feeding tariff but you actually the price of buying the installation is cheaper yeah so we do still receive the same income 
that we were originally uh, granted from the old site. So that is there for the life or for the 20, 20 year lifetime of the project. The income will be at the same rate, but the newer projects are at a lower rate. So um, what effectively has happened is it means that we can be we can't be as generous to the sites in terms of the degree of discount on their electricity and we're looking to make up more of our income from selling electricity rather than from a government subby. So the financials are still even though it's changed and has become slightly more difficult by the sounds of it it's still sufficient to be able to make uh, new projects viable. Yeah uh, the costs have the, the, the costs of solar have come down a lot and I think it at the start, it may well be that you needed to offer quite a big reduction in electricity costs to encourage people to take the risk of adopting the community energy solar model. But now it's it's got a fairly decent track record. So people are not and are, are happier with a, a slightly lower reduction in, in their electricity costs, but also people are very much more aware of the need to reduce emissions and there are you know organizations really are looking at at that and you know it may be that people might consider paying a premium under certain circumstances for knowing that they're getting clean electricity not that we've really explored that all that much but um yeah i think looking forward sure. might be a possibility so just to be really clear, then uh, you've you've got people that like yourself have put money in, and you're getting uh, like a five percent annual income off that. What happens after you talked about twenty year period? What happens after twenty years to the project to the money that's been invested? That's the key question, isn't it? So oh. the business model <laughs> for X Community Energy is such that uh, throughout the twenty year lifespan of the project, that it's budgeted to pay people back um they're on their shares through the course of that you know people will probably want their money back to do things you know maybe they'll want to buy a bigger house or whatever so when we started out i think it was a three-year period of which we said that people had to keep their money in and then after that point people are free to withdraw their investment so we're you know, the, the income that's being generated is all budgeted towards gradually paying down that investment. And then at the end, the original vision was to pay that back. But what's happened is with new projects coming in, uh, the duration of Eco's life uh, is, has been extended. So, you know, we did the first installations, I think in late 2015, actually. Mm. Um and then we've done a couple more last year. So that's five years after the first one. So ECO itself is definitely going to be, be in existence for 25 years after it was originally, uh, you know, the first solar panels were put up. And if we do more projects, then that's going to roll us on to, to, to being a bit uh, more uh, long lived. So there's, there's a kind of balancing act of money coming in, money going out. And yeah, let's uh, it's the transition from getting the organization up and running to then being one that c 
continues and has a, a clear vision uh, of what else it might do beyond its initial intentions is is a fairly big challenge it's probably one of the main challenges and um you know there's more there's clearly more we can do i think we would like to ha have more solar projects we're working on some sort of more solar projects but actually we're we're also learning there's a lot potentially much more to be gained from things like energy efficiency energy saving insulation retrofit things like that that we're getting increasingly involved with as well so so yeah in terms of people's money uh, they they get it back pretty much whenever they want it and if they want you know if uh, uh, when the when the 20 year duration any particular roof is is intended to last for 20 years um when they end then the investments in those roofs um any outstanding investments will be paid back to the investors but there may be other projects by that point that we might want them to, you know, invite them to put their money, keep their money in and we'll put it in something else. The ownership of the solar panels at that stage passes to the organisations uh, that are partners where the panels are located. Uh, they should still be good energy generating panels by that point. At some point beyond that in the future, the panels may well stop being worth having and when that happens the industry the solar industry has a scheme for recycling solar panels so it's not like the sites will be lumbered with them but we haven't really got to the stage where the recycling has had to kick off in really big scales so it's not entirely clear how that's going to pan out right now but certainly the industry has committed to uh, providing that facility. So mm. um, we'll all have to do our best to hold them to their intentions on that one. Sure. And just going back to uh, the other benefits of the, the income that you're drawing, that you're putting into the community, what, what sort of things are you doing around the, the fuel poverty that you mentioned earlier? So yeah, the fuel poverty activity um, that we have at ECO, it's called Healthy Homes for Wellbeing, and it's become really prominent in the last few years. I think it was probably just starting when I came on board in 2018, and uh, it's gone from strength to strength. I think, yeah, we've got, I want to say, maybe 10 parts of staff now. It's in that ballpark. It, um, it kind of bobs up and down a little bit, who advise people on how to improve the energy efficiency of their homes. They could be, uh, quite a lot of people are actually tenants because it's targeting people who are in fuel poverty in particular. We have trained advisors, those staff I mentioned, who have, have all been trained uh, by one of our partners who are called LEAP. And they are able to advise on various matters like how to how to deal with debts related to energy, how to access funding in particular. Um, there's funding, which again, confusingly is called eco, but for, okay. for boilers, it's not, it's not strict. It's a more centrally organized uh, energy industry scheme. Uh, but yes, if, if you're, there is funding available for people who have problems with their boilers, who might not be able to afford to deal with them. Various other, funding matters 
simple measures we, we provide, we give away simple energy saving measures like energy saving light bulbs, panels, uh, reflective panels that will go behind uh, radiators that might be on external walls to stop the energy just seeping right out to, to the outdoors and advice on you know, other insulation. And we've also got, um, yeah, we provide access to funding for emergency matters. Like um, we, speak, we seem to be providing quite a lot of fridges, things like that, and odd things like people who don't have doors on their ovens. Is that a thing? Certainly some of the advisors say that they see it quite a lot when they go around to people. You, um, I was just heard on the, the radio this morning, Marcus Rashford, who's the you know, English footballer mm. who's been doing a lot of campaigning for poverty. And um, he was talking about how his family would in the past have had to choose between food and fuel. And this is a thing that happens a lot with fuel poverty and that we see a lot with healthy homes. And so, yeah, you have to choose between the things that you you can afford to deal with. And if at some point your oven door breaks, it means that you can't use your oven to cook with, but you probably have to prioritise other things above and beyond getting your oven door fixed. So yeah. sometimes the connection to saving energy can be tenuous, but it's that's where like it's it's about dealing with the fuel poverty rather that, you know, that's where the, the fuel poverty aspect takes primacy over the energy saving aspect but they're all interrelated sure it's it sounds like a really useful resource how do people in the community know that you you know that that money is available uh, to them we do a lot of drop-in clinics around devon we do quite a lot of devon although uh, we are primarily located in exeter uh, i think we do east devon mid devon Tinmouth and Torbay as well uh, for for these and so we do a lot of clinics in community centres uh, around those areas uh, we have we train referrers a lot of partners in the local health services local councils so if they find that they're dealing with people who are in energy in fuel poverty and having problems then they know to refer them to us for help. And we, you know, we try and promote and advertise ourselves as organically as possible. And that's part of my job as marketing director is to try and make sure that we get out there. But Healthy Homes is, is quite autonomous. Um, it's funded, it's the, not a great deal of being, the funding that they get comes from the solar power if any, they might have had some at the start, it's actually largely funded indirectly through from the energy companies. Um, the money They put the money into LEAP, who I mentioned earlier, and it's um, through a process called the Energy Company Obligation, another thing which is called ECO. Great. Uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Catchy phrase. We've got ECOs all over the shop. And so, in effect, at some point, I think it's a good, it might be a few decades, I'm not 100% sure on that one, but some point in the past, a government put in some legislation to make sure that the quasi-monopoly of energy companies um, didn't mean that they ex exploited the very poorest, or at least if they did, then they put some investments in to help, help support them. And in, in effect, uh, ECO is 
be, being funded by that to do that job. Okay. Parts of, of knowing, you know, navigating through the organisation and getting it to work uh, really well is, is drawing on all these different partnerships and collaborations by the sounds of it. You've got a your communication is very important. <laughs> Communications, which is your cover, is very important. <laughs> and it's really interesting. Certainly, we are very embedded in our local community, and a lot of organizations know who we are. And I suppose probably the people we've helped through um, Healthy Homes know who we are and might remember who we are. But I wouldn't say that we're that well known otherwise in our local community um, because there's not above and be, you know healthy homes is the main reason that people have to interact with us on a day-to-day -day basis until we have a new project to set up some more renewable energy generation for anybody who's outside that group who would need help from healthy homes there's not a great deal of reason to interact with us otherwise sure. so, so so it's a quite from a marketing perspective that's quite an interesting challenge and situation yeah. i suppose we, you know i think we'd all like to be well known More in our visible. community um yeah. and we are yeah. but only in very specific groups now you're up for this social enterprise award will that help getting or will that just be a you know that'll within the energy community you'll become more well known rather than on the ground well hopefully if you know if we win hopefully it might get us a little bit more attention and you know it's really nice to be shortlisted and it's it's actually a reflection of primarily how well healthy homes has been doing and just they have saved some really really impressive amounts of money been a worthwhile occupation yeah so i think it's it was over a million between september 2020 and march 2021 healthy homes for well-being helped 1145 households save over a million pounds collectively which is nearly 900 pounds per household I mean, that's so that's huge isn't it that... uh, they've done an amazing job and certainly you know they deserve the shortlisting and we're up against some tough uh, tough competitors, including, I think I'm, my, my money is on um, a company called Toast. I don't oh, know if you've heard them. Toast Dale. They make beer, yeah, beer out of um, waste bread. So, yeah, we're up against them and some others. So I, I, I've got a, a feeling that Toast is likely to win. But uh, it's nice to be shortlisted. And um, I, I don't think it's a problem for us not being better known as much as we would like to more you know it, it's perhaps vanity as long as the people we need to reach know us that's the main thing so yeah you're doing an excellent job in terms of the uh, community energy across the UK how, how do you think it's going to look in 2050 that's a really good question I mean so the first round of 20 year model projects will have got come and gone you know about 20 years before, at least 15 years before so community energy will have had to just you know find new ways of existing um i think what i would really i would really like community energy to build on that and go from strength to strength i think there is a real power in this non-profit model and it you know gives normal people 
the power to do things that would normally be limited to much wealthier, much, you know, people from much higher in inverted commas socioeconomic groups, I think, you know, it allows people to do things that they might not otherwise have access to. And I think that's really powerful. And I very much like community energy to build on that and expand that as, as a possibility um, and keep keep on going. Um, you know, we would we would want to have a lot of the renewable energy projects and they would all be deployed, uh, you know, and, and running by 2050. But I guess given that all energy plants have a lifespan, there will need to be new new plants, new projects to replace the old ones. And so there's probably a pipeline from that perspective. And hopefully we, we will continue to learn as a community and be able to improve the way in which we operate. One thing that's really interesting at the moment is community energy groups are increasingly getting involved in improving the housing stock um, and ECOs working towards that, doing that. So you have various options, you know, building new houses that have much better energy efficiency than they would have if you just let people like the mainstream house builders do it, who you know, actively campaign to lower the energy standards um, that they're required to follow, uh, meaning that, you know, uh, the, the housing in the UK is nowhere near as energy efficient as it should be. Yeah. So some of our uh, fellow groups in Devon are uh, building new houses with high energy performance. What uh, Eco is working towards is retrofit so as well as helping those people who are in fuel poverty, we will be uh, offering services to advise people on how to make their existing properties much more energy efficient. And I imagine that that's another area where community energy will begin to start making a difference. And that will hopefully be something that we can continue by 2050. We'll hope that the housing stock is much better. Yeah but I'm sure that new buildings will still be being built by then. And I would like to see community energy uh, continuing to push profit, you know, profit-making organizations who for whatever reason believe that it's in their shareholders' interests to reduce the environmental standards of the products that they are constructing and selling. Um, I'd like to see community energy groups continue to push them and offer an alternative, possibly even become active competitors that can really drive some change in the housing sector. That that game certainly needs to be raised, doesn't it? Because it's, um, you know, we've got such a huge existing housing stock that will need retrofitting let alone putting new houses up that aren't up, that aren't up to the job so that's um, a really important and interesting area that you're going into finally then andy more on a personal note you're obviously well into environment and climate issues and you've 
blogged about it and you've written about it and are writing about it. What in your own life are uh, uh, the sorts of changes that you've made as a result of your exploration into this field? Well, you know, I think the number one thing is um, getting involved with eco has given me an outlet to pour all of the energy and the frustration and general upsetness about the fact that nothing ever seems to get done about uh, the environment and the climate in particular. Um, it's really given me a channel to try and do things and it's it's slow progress. We're not we're not changing the world in a hurry, but we are achieving things. Yeah, and that's great. Sure. Um, and I would encourage other people who are in a similar place to how I was before I, I started doing this to reach out. There are probably community energy groups near you. Reach out, you know, offer to volunteer. You know, they are, if they're anything like eco, they're probably looking for voluntary directors to um, help steer the organization. And it will absorb as much energy and frustration as you want to pour into it I think um I think that's a top recommendation you've given there yeah 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 um so if you have got lots of energy and lots of frustration to work out you know the opportunity is definitely there but not everybody can do that I mean life takes up an awful lot of time you know just keeping yourself fed and a roof over your head and you know you may not have a great deal of time to spend so conversations I guess um I personally I have changed how I speak to people I think in recent years in terms of the things that I have done it's less about trying to convince people by pointing out where they're wrong and it's more about telling people what I'm doing and setting an example and just kind of they other people can think about it whatever they will but it's we're funny creatures humans and we like to think that we've got very clear minds and certainly it's hard to change someone's mind by actively debating them and trying to tell them that they're wrong uh, but actually what we can be quite easily swayed by the things we see and the people we're around not if they start annoying us and upsetting us and like I say telling us we're wrong but you, know, you probably want to be like the other people in your life who you like so telling the people who you like in your life what you're doing is going to be a much easier sell than trying to convince somebody who you don't even know who is going to be possibly the last person to ever change their mind on these things so I mean I've changed that's another thing I've done in terms of marketing I suppose yeah and and you know what and that that is it that is excellent point that you've made Andy because you're so right it's you're being brave to just tell people this is what I'm doing but putting it out there without any there's no judgment. There's you just saying, this is what I'm up to. And you're kind of leaving it with them without saying, oh, this is what I'm up to. What are you doing? Or why are you doing it that way? You're just saying, hello, this is me. And I think that's, that's, that's got to be a really positive way of getting messaging out there. And I think, I, I don't know to which, to, to, to the extent to which you're familiar with this debate about whether 
action on climate change is personal or institutional the the sense that you know you can do things you know if you cut your own carbon footprint is that enough or you know should we be pushing for change from large organizations uh for example or the government and um it's clear that both of these are true but um by embodying the change that we need to see you can drive both i think you know that that's where the personal becomes political and organizational you're you're doing the things that need to be done but you can then bring that to places like your workplace or other organizations you're involved with and you know not only you can you can tell people what you're doing personally and you can ask well you know why are we not doing this here you know in my job at a large company or in my job at a local council or as a civil servant or you know or even you know at a small shop or, or whatever, wherever else you work but why are we not doing these things that i've done in my life and are not not as hard as you would think they are yeah for sure yeah no that's a that's a really good place to end on so uh andy thanks very much for your time and uh yeah carry on the good work thank you very much thanks for having me you're welcome thanks to andy for giving us such a terrific overview of what community energy is all about I love the fact that a community can really get involved with helping to mitigate climate change by generating green energy and in doing so raise additional funds that can be used for other community projects. It feels really exciting and impactful. So if you're thinking you want to get involved in a project, see if there's an energy group near you or perhaps you want to start one of your own. You can find links to the community energy groups for England, Wales and Scotland in the show notes. There are also similar projects going on all over Europe too. I'd like to thank Andy Shaw for audio editing, Jeremy Jones for providing the music, and to you, of course, for listening. Don't forget, you can subscribe to get automatic access to each new episode. And it would be lovely if you could rate, review, and share the podcast too. Until next time, bye for now.